0: Well, welcome to the Spontaneous Table, Mr. Brandon Voorhees, Gray Skies Distillery out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Definitely one of my favorite hangouts uh, and my favorite
1: gin. Thanks, George. That gin
0: is quite quite special.
1: I, I appreciate that.
0: It's really a pleasure to have you here. You know, it's one of the best things about my, my job here as a podcaster is I really get to meet some interesting people. And it's more special when I get to meet the people that create things, especially the ones who are local. And obviously when we discovered uh, Gray Skies about three years ago, uh, we were actually, I was very shocked how, how good the product was. So, but before we talk about Gray Skies, you know, let's, let's talk about yourself. You know, obviously you got a successful Company with your partner? Yes. Yep. And uh, but it started somewhere. So, did you as a child did you start drinking scotch and gin when your fa- father gave you stuff on the side there while your mom's not looking?
1: <laughs> yeah. Not, not, uh, what's not your not story? Quite. How did that get yeah, started? Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that. Uh, first off, thanks so much for having me. This is a pleasure to be here. Um, we were always flattered when you when uh, George would come and hang out with us so early on in our in our journey, and uh, so. You're somebody that we look up to in this community, and it's, it's a pleasure to chat with you today. Um, I guess my business partner and I, so my business partner and really good friend growing up and still to this day, Steve Vanderpoel, and I grew up in West Michigan. Um, like a lot of West Michigan families, our our parents didn't drink very often. So drinking was not a part of our early days at all. It probably took until we were getting a little mischievous in high school and in, and in college, but A lot lot has happened since then. Um, Both of us kind of in our own journeys in life fell in love with uh, whiskey. And whiskey has always been something that I guess I'm I'm pulled towards. Um, Good bourbon is something that I will always have on my shelf at home. And uh, one day we just started chatting. You know, We were both working in more of a corporate style job and neither one of us super excited about that.
0: What were you doing with what uh, corporate I, job?
1: I was working actually um, for a distribution company that was recently purchased by Meyer. Um So it, it was a good job. I, I, I loved all the people that I was, I was working with. It was challenging. Um, but at the same time, you know, it was... I just felt like there was more to it than just your 9-to-5. And nothing against all the 9-to-5s out there that are fantastic. I was just yearning for something else. And so... Tried to market myself a little better, went to, started going to MBA night school here at Grand Valley downtown while working the job. And uh, my business partner was in Denver at the time and he was also trying to market himself a little better. So he was going to do an MBA program at University of Denver um, while working at um, Charter Communications. And we just started chatting uh, about whiskey and, and about West Michigan and, and the opportunities that were there. and. We started looking at the scope of the craft distilling world which was had just started growing at that point about five years ago our discussion started and we just saw a really really great opportunity to not only utilize our awesome water source here with lake michigan a really diverse agricultural system in in not only west michigan but in michigan and in the midwest that we utilize grains all off throughout um and Grand Rapids is just such a really cool place to start a business in the craft sector, whether it's food, be- uh, beer, of course, beer, wine. And uh, they're just they're, they're really supportive of new products. They're really supportive of innovation and of local a local story. And so um, all that kind of led us to Grey Skies Distillery. So you and
0: Stephen, you, you went to high school together, yes. childhood friends, right? Yep. So you decided one day, hey, let's start stealing our own whiskey yeah did it start in somebody's garage or (laughs) somebody's bedroom or were you guys having heavy drinks and decided to just do it you know it it takes a lot of guts to start something fresh especially when you got a comfortable you know uh, corporate job
1: yeah yeah, it's, uh, and some stupidity mixed in there, too, for well, sure. Uh, I don't think so. You guys have done pretty good. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's just an interesting business model, especially when you want to compete on a national level of quality with whiskey, because not you could have all the processes in place, and you know how to do everything just as well as the big boys, but what you don't have on your side is time. And good whiskey um, just requires time in, in barrels to mature. And so when we start this business model, it was, all right, well, for the first few years, we're going to be laying down a lot of whiskey, and we're not going to be selling much whiskey, because that stuff needs to continue to age and mature. So there's where the slight stupidity, I I, I say that in jest, I mean, we're really excited about this company and where where we're going. Um, But it's not always the easiest the first few years, while a lot of your barrels are still maturing. Um, So back to your question, we really dove in one week both started doing a little bit of self-learning went to uh, the library and bought every book on whiskey that i had in grand rapids for me rented it i mean um, he did the same in denver Um, then he moved back to grand rapids and we kind of created a little mini distillery in my kitchen and i probably shouldn't (laughs) say that on too many podcasts because technically you are not allowed to distill at home right now um yeah, my my wife did not like either one of us. Uh, there was a lot of fermentation in the kitchen, a lot of uh, distilling <laughs> experimenting, and then you know what what I love so much about this industry and this community of distillers is uh we were able to do call up different distillers ask questions um steve did a couple internships out in denver at local distilleries would stop on in and learn as much as he could we both flew to breckenridge to breckenridge distillery for a week long little internship where we pay to work Um, i got to take some classes from a pioneer in this industry um, at uh in michigan state And, you know, there's just a lot of help from outside sources that kind of helped us get all of our processes in place and what flavor profiles are we looking for and how to tweak certain things. So how did that take about a year or two? So, So we were probably a little bolder than most. Understanding that to go through the licensing process is going to take anywhere from 18 to 24 months. Um, we started the licensing process immediately and knew that we had about 24 months to really kind of hone in our skills and the profiles that we were going for and the techniques and figure out what type of equipment we wanted. Um, so we, after that really serious talk and about a month of, of learning through books and, and literature, we pulled the trigger and started to do some of that looking for a building and going through the licensing while then doing internships and learning how to make product. So.
0: so how did you get the capital to, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much it costs to start, you know, distilling for commercial purposes. Is it, you know, did you, did you
1: save up some money? Did you have
0: some investors? How did that work?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, a, a distillery is definitely a capital intensive. You, you need, you know, startup capital for equipment, but then also working capital is a difficult part of it, too especially when we're making more product than we're willing to sell early on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Steve and I fortunately um, had both saved up some money. Um, so the the largest chunk came from us. And then we were able to work with a bank to help with some of our equipment costs and um, building costs for sure. So um, we decided to go with no outside investors. It's just Steve and I and a bank that we work closely with. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's definitely been some tight days around the distillery, uh, <laughs> and some some workarounds. But overall, we're really excited that we get to run this the exact way that we want to. And, exactly. Um, I mean,
0: you, you don't compromise. There's no You're compromising. No compromising what you want. Because- we don't
1: have somebody saying, "Hey, we see how many barrels of whiskey you have back there. Sell some because we need a return right now." And we would never want to do that. You know, we don't. We're not forced to rush anything. We can uh, taste barrels and release them when we think they're ready to be released. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's been a, a great way to go about it. So you got the
0: capital, you're eyeing a building. You know, what was your first product? When when did you say, okay, it's a go? We're gonna open or we're gonna start? You know, like did you have to have like so many barrels or a couple of bottles and call it good? How does it work?
1: Yeah, so we've been talking. I've been referencing whiskey a lot because that's what our first love is, and that's why we, I guess, ultimately decided to get into the distilling world. Um, Fortunately, not all spirits take that long to mature, right? So if you have a clear spirit, that's how it comes off the still. So you could really turn around a clear spirit from grain to glass in roughly two to four weeks. Um, So when we first opened our little tasting room, and we call it a tasting room because that's what we originally thought it was going to be. Um, Somebody might stop in like a winery, drink a half ounce, if they like it, maybe buy a bottle and kind of move their way out. Um, so we opened up that with just our vodka and our barrel-finished hopped gin. And our barrel-finished gin is just that. It's finished for a couple months in a barrel, but it's not matured for years in there. So when we uh, we opened up with two products, and you were one of the early adopters of coming in and hanging out with us at Grace Guys. And uh, if you remember, our, we never intended it to be, or never thought it was going to be, a cocktail lounge. Um, and so we grabbed any furniture that we could find free from family and friends and other businesses that we had hands in. I can and see you've got an upgrade since then. Yeah, thank you. We finally got a little bit more of uh, intentional furniture in there. Um, but it was just so exciting to see the response that we had from from Grand Rapids when we had a little hodgepodge room serving up two spirits and people wanted to come and hang with us and drink and and our cocktail menu at that time was very very basic. And uh, we kind of saw the value in giving people an experience to come on site with us and, and uh, we'd show anybody that wanted to out back what, how we were working, what we were doing. And uh, created a lot of really great relationships in this city.
0: And I do like the, the story you told me about, you know what you use, some souvenir that you got <laughs> from where I came from, yeah,
1: tell us about that. that that uh, sword. Yeah, I believe you're talking about my old samurai sword. I, I kind of <laughs> exaggerate it a little bit when I tell people, but
0: you know, it's we love that kind of story, you know.
1: Yeah, so it was kind of a joke that turned into an actual little worker for us. Uh, I, I had had the opportunity to go to the Philippines with the basketball team that I was a part of, and uh, rolling through the black markets, I guess the the little shops and in uh, markets that are were were in. Um, man, I can't remember what city I was in.
0: Were you like in Cebu or?
1: Too long ago.
0: Were you in the south or middle? Yes, south. Mindanao, Davao,
1: I'm not going to remember, I'm sorry, Uh, 20 years ago. Uh, But anyway, I found the samurai sword that I loved and uh, took that thing home, sat in my house for 10 years, not being touched and then, uh, because what do you really do with a samurai sword? But when when you're putting grains into the water, your first step of making whiskey is mashing in grains, much like a brewer does every morning. Uh, some of those grains, uh, especially rye, when we're making rye whiskey, gets a little lumpy, initially, and so I would take that samurai sword and kind of, jokingly slice up those lumps, and it actually worked out to be, a pretty decent little uh, little way to do it. We don't use it anymore; it's been retired. It's still well, I, I tell
0: people you use it. Every time. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, nothing perfect combination. You know, alcohol and. In a samurai sword. Yeah, you know, some great what, things could happen. What out could that. go wrong?
1: Nothing can go wrong. I think early on, when we were before we were opened, I, I think we had some fruit slicing competitions. Throw the fruit in the air and see who could- and slice it. That, that's we didn't need that happening anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so tell me about this Hop Gin. You know, I mean, I guess that's really what drew me in uh, to Gray Skies because I thought, wow, this Hop Gin can go toe to toe with Hendrix. And it's made here, a, a block from, two blocks from downtown. Uh, what was the inspiration for it? You know, you, of course, you're going to make just a, a cleaner gin that could just be mixed with anything. But uh, you decided to go this route. And tell us the inspiration behind it.
1: Sure. The inspiration is a lot of what we love about this uh, craft industry. It's innovation. Um, it's you can't just open up a craft distillery and say, well, I'm going to do one bourbon, one rye, one dry gin. You're competing against a lot of big players that've been doing it for a long time. And uh, we didn't quite have the marketing dollars that a lot of big players do. And we didn't want to market another dry gin against everybody else's. So we thought, all right, well, let's, let's kind of explore this gin world. Gin is essentially a flavored vodka that's been around for so long it has its own category. So it's just vodka redistilled with a bunch of different flavor components with the understanding that juniper, what people call piney or Christmas tree, is going to be the predominant flavor. But it doesn't have to be really in your face like a lot of dry gins are. And I always tell people there's a time and a place and, and there's a perfect cocktail for that juniper forward gin. But some people don't prefer that and they want something a little softer. So we started playing around with couple hundred different recipes on, on uh, what goes along with the juniper and and how can we make this unique and how can we make this a story to tell here in Grand Rapids and after about a hundred recipes that were okay but just missed the mark just a touch we started realizing all right well hops have a really great flavor profile and once distilled you only get the oils from those hops. So it's no longer the bitterness that you find in a beer. You're getting more of the fresher flavors. So that's why when you try our gin, it's not like you're sipping on an IPA. You don't get that bitterness. Um, And citra hops just had such a beautiful flavor component of citrus notes and freshness and a little bit of that hoppiness. um, That played really well with our base of spices that we were already using, which was juniper, coriander, cardamom, and peppercorn um peppercorn was for the back end to create a little spice on the on the back end and the in the coriander and the cardamom kind of helped the juniper pop a little bit and then when we added the citrus hops in there along with some grapefruit and lemon peel and some ginger we just got something that was really unique really inviting it wasn't like we have a lot of people that come in that say we don't like gin but when they try that one it's different they 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 can enjoy it whether in a cocktail or they can take some sips of it and actually enjoy it straight um so when we first tried it we said man this is this is really good Um, there's still an edge to it though and and how can we kind of uh how can we play with that edge in in a proper way and that's when we started experimenting with barrel aging it there's not a whole lot of barrel aged gins on the market um so well there's more now that more craft distilleries are playing around with that so i guess it was a couple things we wanted one to tie in a story to grand rapids and what better way to do that than to tie into beer city USA by using what was at the time a really popular hop and and still is if you can get your hands on it. And then two was how do we make it inviting and not so harsh. And I say harsh because that's how a lot of people describe gin. I I don't. um, I like, I don't discriminate. I like, I like all spirits. Um, But uh, in that barrel aging was a way to kind of soften it up, give it a little bit of uh, that charred oak, which offers a little bit of vanilla and little sweet tones to combat against Um, the pininess and and the peppery of the gin. So all in all, I think it it was a really unique marriage that has worked out for us. It's been our flagship product for the first three years while a lot of our whiskey is still aging. And it's, it gives us a little bit more of an opportunity to uh, make a little cash flow while we wait for that bourbon to come. So do you have a, like a
0: recipe that's very precise or is it like, you know, Cook, cooks who can just, you know, whip things out and, you know, what, what how it's going to come out. How, how does that work in the distilling business?
1: We have a very strict recipe, and every recipe that you have um, has to be approved by the federal government. Um, so they are counting on us, and they, they're basically legally binding us to making that exact same recipe every time we make that gin, and we want to keep it that way. Um, because we have a nice loyal following around that gin, and we don't, we don't want to risk changing up the flavor profile on, on a whim from batch to batch. So every time we make it, um, it is the exact same recipe dialed in to the ounce of, uh, of um, the botanicals going in. The spontaneous is all about
0: tasting, and I can sense, or oh, I can see, I can see. see, yeah, some clear liquid in there. I think it looks like it's a gin. And yes i think it's i think it's time for us to crap very good a, tell me about this gin here because
1: yeah so we were talking about gin and um we wanted to start off unique with our gin this one is going to be more of a classic so this is more catered towards the dry gin lovers and we held off for three years before we finally caved isn't the right way to say it but made a dry gin um, so we still wanted it to be unique so this is a dry gin that's going to be a little bit more juniper forward than our barrel finished gin, but it also has some really nice citrus notes to it. And uh, you can see this says gin B. It's still in the works. Um, Does it
0: B stand for? B was just for because. You? The, <laughs> no, I wish.
1: Oh. My business partner's not that kind. Uh, so he his job, he, he's the distilling distiller of the two of us. So um, he's been working on this recipe for a while. And when we were narrowing down recipes, he had a through g or whatever and and b has stood the test of time and this is now the profile that we will uh keep with and maybe build upon a little bit before we release it so i thought it was a five letter word that might be a good yeah (laughs) so tell us how do you how do you taste gin uh so so for me smell is almost as important as um the palate and then gin you know it's not going to be the same way it's not going to hit your palate the same way as a bourbon where it might just hit all the points, a good bourbon. Um, so I, I like to drink it nice and slow. I, I like to breathe in while I have the liquid on my tongue just so I get a little oxygen in there and it really helps open it up. Um, and then just kind of see how it uh, how it finishes. A finisher, Finishing is really important for me when I taste gin.
0: So it's very much similar to how you would taste wine. Yes. You good wine. So let's check it out. beautiful it's it's really more floral than most dry gins that i would taste
1: yeah so we we wanted it to be a dry gin that still could play well in a martini um, whether it be dirty or dry um, but we still wanted to have our little nuance to it which is always going to be slightly that, that different. signature yeah it's yeah that,
0: that signature uh, it's just going to be a little
1: bit different you know and that's that's kind of how we approach most of our spirits so this one is going to be a little bit more citrus forward than most um, and then Steve was playing around with kefir lime leaves, which um, adds a nice little floral touch to it, too, and, and has That's that citrus really pop. So I think it's super pleasant. We just did a blind taste test um, with our team um, a couple of weeks ago with uh, four other major, major brands spread across the, uh, the retail price point. And um, surprisingly, Steve and I were surprised and very excited that ours ended up taking Took first place in most most ballots, so we were really excited. I mean, that was a way of judging. All right, are we just is it hard for us to detach ourselves away from this new product line? Do we think it's good, but maybe it's maybe other people. You don't can always invite me good.
0: to that tasting, George. Had I
1: known you, you're probably halfway across the world. Anytime I'd give you an invite, but you're always welcome. Yeah.
0: So one thing about Gray Skies that I really love is is the people that you have there. It's what really makes, to me, Gray Skies. It gives its neighborhood identity. That's what it feels like to me. That's great. So, how do you hire people that are just as passionate about the, you know, about as much as the creators? Mm. And that's very, very difficult, you know. You know, with my business, you know, close to 2,000 employees just in Grand Rapids, it's so hard to find people that are really passionate about what they're actually selling. Yeah. But, uh, you know, GSD, your staff is just, absolutely amazing
1: well thank you i think it's a little easier when we're trying to find seven or eight but uh 2000 but still still a tough seven it it really is tough and we were so fortunate early on before we kind of understood that this that our tasting room was going to be a a cocktail lounge i grabbed a good buddy of mine that is just um just as loyal as can be and and asked him if he wanted to come work with us uh, to run this tasting room and he jumped on board. And then David, I came around him um, just from a random Facebook offering, hey, I'm hiring who wants to come and join the oh, team. Oh, really? And he just turned out to be a fantastic hire. Um, so us three were running the taste room for a while. And uh, it, it, b- before you knew it, we realized that, all right, we, along with Grand Rapids as this cocktail scene is changing, we need to kind of promote ourselves as a cocktail bar too. We want to be one of the leaders in this industry. And uh, so then it became a little tougher to find somebody that was very interested in our brand, interested in the cocktail world, and had the skill set to actually take it and improve upon it. And we were really fortunate to come across Brent and uh, Alex, who have taken our cocktail program to levels we never thought it would be when we started three years ago. And, and um, those guys are so passionate and so great at what they do. And they, they run a cocktail lounge that's now busier than ever on Fridays and Saturday nights and they, and they run it like as smooth as could be. And, and so we're really fortunate to find guys like that. And, and now we have um, a bunch of other really passionate um, part-time help that helps us out on the weekends too. And you know, this city is growing in their cocktail culture and there's more consumers that are demanding it. There's more restaurants that are offering it because of that demand and that is Fortunately, creating a new skill set in this workforce, um, uh, bartenders now have to be prepared. Or if they want jobs in this in this new cocktail environment, they they have to be prepared. And, and a lot of them are self-learning and teaching themselves, and they come with books. and It's really fun to see um, the the passion that's out there right now in this industry.
0: But your team, you know, they don't act like snobs, and that's what I like about it. You know, because I, I I believe me, I've been to. Amazing cocktail bars all over the world, but what I like about GSD when I get there, it's just hey, they like they look like just average guys yeah. and girls just making a nice cocktail, but when you when you taste the cocktails, it's like there's some thought behind it, you know. Yeah, this wasn't just some you know let's make make a few things And your in your cocktail list is it's quite unique. You got some some stellar uh, cocktails in there that yeah, I think it's probably going to be part of your repertoire for a long time, you know, and uh, but I think it really comes down to the whole package that you bring to the table with your tasting room.
1: Thanks. Yeah, you know, that was pretty intentional too. We always, I love cocktails. I love going to cocktail bars. I, I do it quite regularly when I'm traveling and some of them do come across just a little bit pretentious and uh, if you don't understand one of these ingredients, then you, you know, it might be difficult to have that conversation with somebody and for us, we wanted to be a cocktail bar that had the same environment as one of our favorite breweries around town, you know? And, and people really respond well to that brewery type atmosphere. We just wanted to have that atmosphere, um, friendly, inviting, let's have a conversation about what we're drinking, but also try to create some world-class cocktails while we're doing it. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you feel that way when you walk in, that makes me happy. So let's pretend I have two guests from out of
0: town, first time to Grand Rapids, and I bring it to Grey Skies. One is a neophyte, you know. I just want this person to have a nice, easy drink that he or she will enjoy. Mm-hmm. Then the other one's more of a pro. Yeah. So out of your cocktail list, what would you give the first one? What would you give the neophyte? The first time GSD visitor and...
1: Hmm, man, that's a tough question. Um- our cocktail list now has grown to about 40 on the list, with with probably 10 classics, 10 easy sippers, which are like your Moscow Mules, gin and tonics, your more freshy, carby stuff that uh, um, are you know people recognize and understand, and then we have um, 10 spring ones, which I think Brent, who is our beverage man, director, he he does the beverage program, he just nailed it. Um, so one of those off of that list, I uh, I would give to the expert, which is called the Pretty Pistol, and it is a um, a rose petal steeped vodka with a pistachio liqueur that Brent makes back in-house, um, and then it also has uh, Greek yogurt incorporated no in it, way. and that, that wow. lactic acid. So the, the beauty of a great cocktail is its delicate combination of acidity, of sweetness, and of spirit. And usually you get your acidity from lemons, limes, citrus fruit. Not everybody wants that citrus, but it's really hard to create a great cocktail without a little bit of that acidity to try to balance out the other components. And so when he incorporated that Greek yogurt, it's a little bit more of a lactic acid. It's a softer acid, and it just plays so phenomenally with that cocktail that has become kind of a fan favorite since we launched it about a month ago.
0: I need to try that. My wife likes Greek yogurt. So if it's, it's this awesome. could be the it perfect is, drink. Well, she she likes a Chief Noonday. That's her favorite.
1: I know, and and uh, you took it
0: off the list. I
1: know that was back when I was running the show, George, and uh, oh. it was a nice simple. It was uh, all fresh ingredients, and um, the guys the guys have moved on from that drink. They still so make it for her though, so they, I appreciate that. They will do that. I'm 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 glad that they will do that too. But yeah. We have to try this. What what is it? Pistol. Uh, the pretty pistol. The pretty pistol. It's the front one on our um, okay. rotating spring menu. It's the top drink on there. Uh, it's the first thing that you'll read, and we just love it. It's been it's been great. Okay, so um, for, for the beginner. The, for the beginner, um, depends on how adventurous of a beginner they are. I think our gin and tonic isn't like most gin and tonics. We make our own tonic that's water. That's right. We do a grapefruit cordial that goes in with it. So it's a it's a, it's a gin and tonic on steroids, and every single week it's our top seller. Um, I would introduce them to that to see if they liked um, gin, if they liked that level of sweetness, and then we would go from there. Um, I'd probably try out a couple. If they liked that, I would go to um, some of the classic cocktails to see where they – what avenues I like traveling down before we get too crazy. Uh, so a Manhattan is always a great place to start if you enjoy whiskey. Um, I think a um, a martini of the likes is a great way to start if you like gin to kind of see where where you can start riffing off of either one of those.
0: Cool. So before we go to the heavy stuff, the good stuff that I like the whiskey, I also know you're you're you got a bottle of
1: rum. Yes. So rum is something that we think is going to continue to grow. there's um, my glass. Okay. Is that the final uh, label there? I like it. This is our label. So this is a rogue wave release and it's a release that we're, we do a lot of experimental stuff and we don't know when it's ever going to come back or if it's ever going to come back again. So this is a single barrel and that gin that we were talking about our barrel finished gin, it requires a barrel. So we throw that gin in a barrel for a few months, and uh, once we empty it, that barrel now has a lot of those gin botanicals still in there. I can, I can smell it. So this rum is: we took one of those gin barrels, filled it with rum a couple years ago, and here is that product. So it's going to be a rum that has a little bit of oak in it, a little bit of that gin flavor in it, and still the sweetness of our of our rum. So this is our label. This is um, we do a unique label for this variety, just because. We're not sure if we're ever going to make it again. It's one of these experiments that we get to play with out of our tasting room. If our consumers like it, if our customers like it, then we might make more of it down the road. How many bottles did you make? We made 500 375s, so the pint size, so half of this bottle. We did 100 of these bottles for our um, bar program, so we'll have this for the next month or so to make some cocktails out of, and then you can come in and buy. And tomorrow we're doing a, a launch of it. If you buy a, a pint for $20, then you get um, $3 off any cocktail or a $3 Moscow Mule and gin and tonics. We're expecting a nice little party tomorrow night.
0: Uh, too bad I won't be here.
1: That's not surprising, George. <laughs>
0: well, I'm actually going to the Caribbean. and It's awesome. That's They know the how to make can, rum. They know how to make rum. Yeah. So tell us about rum. What makes rum... So rum Special is, yes, unique.
1: Rum, um, to start off, rum, unlike whiskey, which is grain-based, uh, rum is sugar-based. Um, so we can't utilize local raw ingredients here. Michigan does not grow sugar at this point in time. <laughs> Hopefully they never do, otherwise our climate has changed quite a bit. <laughs> the uh, Philippines does. The Philippines do. Um,
0: Maybe you need to go back there where you got your samurai syrup. All right.
1: Uh, so this is a rum, we work with a family company in Louisiana that uh, grows their own sugar cane, refines it into a into a sugar for us, and then that's our base. So it's going to be a little bit sweeter. We do use a Caribbean sta- strand of yeast to add in a little bit of those estuary flavors like banana, tropical fruit um, that you find in a lot of funkier island rum, um, just to give it a little character. And then once it ages in a barrel, it, you know, a lot of the, Flavor after that is going to come from what barrel it sits in. So this particular barrel is obviously, it has a little bit of gin flavor to it. So I think it has a nice gin finish, some of that botanical finish, um, but it still has that sweetness of an aged rum up front.
0: So what kind of, what's a good rum cocktail besides, you know, the basics? You know, you know, it, it drives me crazy when I go to the bars there and everyone's just, you know, you a your captain and diet, you know. Yeah. So, you know, give me something else. What, what's a good rum cocktail?
1: You know, um, it's, it's a little bit harder to just say a good. There's not a whole lot of classics yeah. when, when it comes to rum outside of the tiki stuff. Um, so when we're drinking rum, I tend to go tiki style. I was just at Mutiny Bar in Detroit um, oh, a couple, couple weeks ago. It's a really good experience. Um, they, do, they do a really good job with the intentional divy tiki it's a great bar. They have a great selection of rums. So they, they mixed up a couple cocktails there. But a lot of rum cocktails, what I'm finding, are innovative and just particular to each location. O- outside of your normal um, Mai Tais and Hurricanes and, and your, your pain more painkillers, stand- pain your more standard tiki stuff. Um, so for us, we're going to launch a few tiki drinks with this, just so people are still familiar with that style and and um, can drink what they're used to. But also, I'm sure Brent's going to play around um, with a couple more unique stuff too so it's a hard question there's not just a standard rum cocktail that I always go to, I'm, I'm always checking out what they're doing with rum at each location you know the one thing I like about
0: Detroit it's really a cocktail culture there, Yeah, more so than beer you know, West Michigan is definitely more beer but you know, what do we need to do to get to that level of uh, cocktail cu- culture, because you know I, I'm really shocked at the number of amazing cocktail bars they have in Detroit in
1: downtown Detroit it's it's fabulous um we just went and explored the cocktail scene for a couple nights and uh we didn't even hit everything on our list what's your favorite give us a couple of your favorites okay my favorite right now is the Kiesling um it just opened up about a year and a little bit more than a year ago fantastic vibe uh great cocktails they really knock it out of the park um I always like uh the standby, um, it's a great, a great place. It's a great place. They're always playing some nice music. And the food's good. Food's good. Simple,
0: but it's good. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, yeah. So I always love that. If you're uh, late night and wanting to mingle with some industry folks, the Keep is always a good stop too. It's somewhere to of that that dungeon cocktail bar, um, and then of course you got uh, candy bars there. The, yeah, the candy bar is great. Um, man, it's just endless. And, and we're only talking about cocktail bars. Uh, focus right now but there's restaurants that have awesome cocktail programs and so i I think for that to translate to grand rapids it's starting to right now um consumers are experiencing that elsewhere coming here and kind of demanding that and restaurants now that are opening up realize okay uh, we're in a time now in grand rapids where we can't just only focus on the beer in the wine selection we do have to have a cocktail program put together and i think um as we talked about earlier, it was hard, it, hard to find good people. That's creating more of this, uh, a wider scale of, uh, what do you call that? I, I say bartenders, but it's more than that. I know mixologists kind of came and went, and now it doesn't, uh, it, it it might be considered derogatory by some no. cocktail creators. No, is that what it is? Okay. I don't know. It, it's always a tough one. Um, so, But there's more and more capable and, and, and um Inspired people that are making cocktails around the city, and I think that's just going to continue to grow and and as consumers become more aware of it When it's being done, right? I think for the longest time and this is just an opinion But if you're a restaurant and you're gonna have a good amount of people come through visit you that night There's one more thing that you can screw up as a cocktail that requires four or five ingredients and the proper amount of shaking or stirring when you're pouring beer or pouring a glass of wine Hey this is easy this Doesn't is easy. a genius. <laughs> let's, let's get this food let, let's get people in and out of here and not mess anything That's up. True. You know? So it was just easier for a bar manager a bar owner to say, Let's let's really focus on the beer and wine. So I think it really took a consumer demand to, to put a little bit of pressure on some of our restaurants and bars and I think we've responded greatly and, and uh, I can I see this kind of growing continuously over the next five years or so.
0: That's good. And I definitely hope so. I do too. Yeah.
1: Whiskey. Yes.
0: Here we go. This is our mm. final tasting here. Final tasting. So this I'm is very kind of, excited.
1: This is kind of part of our story here is, early on, you gotta figure out ways to incorporate whiskey in your programs, but some of it might not be aging as long as you'd hope it would. So with aging comes complexity of flavors and uh, a little bit more nuance. If you just taste a whiskey after a year, It's not going to have as much flavor going on as if you tapped into it five years later. So one of our ways to kind of cheat father time, if you will, was using unique barrels to finish that product in. And in this particular case, uh, when we were a two-year-old company, we released our first breakfast rye whiskey. And that breakfast just means that we took our rye whiskey that had spent time in its regular barrel and then finished it in an old maple syrup barrel. And that incorporated a new flavor component. There was still maple stuck in the pores of the wood. And uh, when our whiskey was aging in there and when it gets warm outside, the whiskey expands into the wood. And it started stealing some of that maple flavor. So when we incorporated that maple flavor, it almost added a little nuance that we would have had to wait more years to to naturally get. And so we were able to release that as a two-year-old company in small doses, Um, just to have some whiskey out there and make sure that our customers and fans knew we weren't lying that we were making whiskey. Um, And now as we continue to get older and mature, this same brand is getting just better and better, in my opinion. Now this is uh, closer to uh, a two-and-a-half, two-and-three-quarters-of-a-year product instead of a a year-and-a-half-old product.
0: I think I tried it last year. Yeah. It was
1: still... It, definitely a little stiff. Yeah, it's it's a little bit but more it's raw. it's quite you know? softer now. It's definitely been one of our more popular brands, which is great. Um, and this, I think, just keeps getting better and better.
0: It is. It really is.
1: So you don't only get the spiciness of the rye grain now. It's more incorporated with a little bit of oak. Just a touch of that maple will help smooth it out just a little bit. It's still going to be a rye whiskey. We want that bite there because rye whiskey is... That's why people love using that in cocktails so much is because it still has a bite that can stand up to other ingredients. Where bourbon is softer and sweeter, it's easier to get lost. Yeah. Rye whiskey is going to be able to stand up a little better. So we still want that component there, um, but we're also trying to, to create a more of a gateway rye with that maple incorporated it to allow people to hopefully slowly step in if they weren't a whiskey fan to start.
0: If I was going to uh, have my own bar cart, At home. Yeah. Okay. So what would be my basic list of uh, liquors that I should have if I
1: were to start my own bar cart? Okay. Are you talking brands or just types? Types. Okay. Unless you
0: want brands. You can share brands
1: too. Sure. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm game.
1: So I, I believe my bar at home always has a nice collection of a few different styles of bourbon. Um, because as you dive into bourbon, you'll notice that some are spicier than others, some are sweeter than others, some are more dessert pours, some are more um, everyday pours. Um, so my collection will always include a couple of varieties from, my f- from one of my favorite distilleries in Buffalo Trace, um, whether that be an Eagle Rare or an E.H. Taylor or a, um, uh, or an Elmer T. Lee. Those are always a little bit sweeter in profile, so those are just fantastic um, and late, good, late good price points. at great price points. I will price. always tell people Eagle that Rare. Eagle Rare, 10-year bourbon for 30 bucks, really hard to beat Can't that. beat it, yeah. EH Taylor is my favorite uh brand under 40. Um it's just a great it's it's just bourbon personified. Um and then now I'm really leaning towards cuz I've I've had a lot of the sweet bourbons. I'm I'm looking for a little bit more nuance now, so I I, I tend to go towards Elijah Craig. Ligeur Kirk Barrel Proof that they came out with, unfortunately, good for them, but unfortunately, it won Whiskey of the Year a couple years ago, and now it's more difficult to find. Um, and then Henry McKenna, who just won Whiskey of the Year this year in San Francisco, is a fantastic single barrel ten year product um, that used to be for thirty three bucks. Now it's creeping up since it's been winning awards. Don't, don't and, you hate that? Yeah, I mean, as a whiskey lover, I hate it. As a uh, producer. I That's love good. it. You know, maybe one day we can demand a little bit more uh, for our whiskey. Yeah. I, I don't know if we ever will. But. My
0: favorite single malt is, you know, the Lagavulin 16. Sure. And I used to buy it for 60, 65 bucks, you know, for a 750 ml. Yeah. Now it's like 110, 120. I'm like, oh my
1: gosh, what happened? This whiskey world is exploding right now. And uh, although it's fun to see, it's making a lot of my old favorites really difficult to find. Um, So that's the whiskey side. Okay. Then I want a couple of ryes because I think Manhattan's old fashions for me are better with rye whiskey. Rye whiskey, like we talked about earlier, that rye grain is earthier and spicier so it can stand up to ingredients better. Um, Old Forester just came out with a $23, $24 bottle of value rye, which is delicious. Um, I will always have that on my shelf for cocktails. Um, And... uh, yeah. One, one rye is usually fine. I might have a couple on there. Um, my, my business partner's a good dude and he just uh, got a, a bottle of rye for my birthday, which is a Michter's 10-year. Absolutely delicious. So I, I saved that for a special pour. Uh, that's a difficult bottle to get your hands on. Um, so there's, there's our whiskey. We got that covered. A good vermouth is a must. And um, I don't want to trash any brands on here, but don't go cheap with the vermouth. Okay. Ver, vermouth is important if you're making any Manhattans, um, Boulevardier. Hey, and you're using just, just a little, just a little, little bit. A little one bit bottle is going to go money. a long way. Yeah. Spend the money. You don't have to get the most expensive. What's a good What's a good brand? Dolan's a great brand okay. for the price point, dive, and you, you can, can get find that anywhere. anywhere. Okay. Um, so that that that's always a good start. The the Gallows of the world. It just your cocktail isn't going to be elevated to where it should be. Um, and then uh, one vodka is fine for me. A couple of gins. Um, I like a dry gin, and I like a, a softer gin like Hendrix. Hendrix is a good place to start. Or I'd prefer Grey Skies these days. But before Grace Guys was around, Hendrix was a good option for that softer, not as juniper forward. Um, juniper forward, you can doodles, beefeater, uh, what ha- whatever. Yeah. They all work well in cocktails. And now it's really fun to see... Tequila and mezcal come up, so I, I always have uh, a bottle of that at home too.
0: Any favorites?
1: Not yet. I'm, I'm uh, so I can't spend a whole lot of drinking equity in uh, tequila well, and mezcal. Quite pricey. It is pricey. Um, I have a single village right now, and I'm forgetting the brand, but I just bought it when I was venturing through Detroit a couple weeks ago, and I've been it's everything that I can do to not drink that when I get home and try to save that for try to prolong Special it. Occasions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they tequila and mezcal I, because we can't make it. I can't spend a whole lot of time exploring and as much time as I would like to same with scotch. I would love to dive into scotch more, but, uh, since we won't be making any varieties of scotch anytime soon, unless we move a distillery to Scotland, um, really still focusing more on, on bourbon and rye and, and
0: we were talking like earlier before the show about St. George and yeah. their baller whiskey is definitely my favorite domestic whiskey and you've told me that you really look up to those guys in Alameda, California about what yeah. they're doing there. Well what are they doing that kinda of inspires younger
1: distillers like like you? Well, they've been doing it since the early '80s, which is an inspiration in itself. It, it, I didn't
0: realize they've been around that long.
1: They've been around that long. Nationally distributed is more of a recent thing—not recent, but more recent than the '80s. Um, but they—they they just, you know, they really focused on quality, small batch. They weren't gonna—they weren't gonna take any shortcuts with anything. Um, Their gins were phenomenal. They all had character. They weren't just a, hey, somebody's going to buy a local product because it's a craft product. Let's just put something out there. It was very deliberate, it felt, with their multiple styles of gins. Their single malt, I love what they do with their single malt now where they're blending older barrels and younger barrels. And they made sure to keep an allotment of all of their older barrels so they can start blending back and forth. I just had an opportunity, I think it was their 35th anniversary whiskey that they put out that only 500 bottles made the market. My buddy Rob Hanks over at oh, sure, uh, Reserve, yeah. Reserve yeah. got a bottle. And so I was able to try some of that just so unique and interesting and exciting that craft craft distilleries are able to come up with these flavor components. You know, I, I have no grandeur of ever taking down Kentucky bourbon,. I think they're just incredible at what they do. But it's nice to see that, Hone in your processes, give it, give things enough time, and you can really create some world-class products. So I think they've always been somebody that we looked up to from a branding standpoint. I love their brand, I love their labels. Their it's a great name. It's a great name. Oh,
0: how, how can you mess up that name? Yeah, it,
1: <laughs> of course, George. Yeah, I, uh, I almost I missed like, that for hello. a second. <laughs> it's like
0: it's like perfect.
1: Yeah, they they just do a great job. And they do a great we, job. We respect them greatly for sure. Okay, so this
0: is my last topic of conversation. And this is probably what's gonna be the most important to the listeners here. Let's talk about Kirkland brand. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, 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 I think they make some, their their French vodka is quite solid. Yeah. Uh, I've had their Kirkland tequila 100% agave. That was, I, I, I tell you, I can't tell the difference between you know, a really good quality Tequila versus that one. I mean, At least I can differentiate the notes, but sure. I will be able to tell you that this is Kirkland. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about what Kirkland is doing to the craft industry? Is that a good thing, a bad thing?
1: That That's a loaded question right there. Yeah. Um, I, I think what the craft industry has done, in liquor especially, is spurred innovation and quality management. Um, even the big boys are realizing now that... They don't want what happened to craft beer take over such a market share to happen in craft liquor. So they're being forced to kind of innovate and make sure that everything is in line. So all that being said, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that Kirkland has the buying power. Excuse me. Uh, the buying power to go out there and say, "Hey, I want a really good brand, and I can promise you that I'm gonna buy enough of it to make sure that it's quality in a bottle.
0: Can you imagine if they come to you and they'd say, have to help
1: us build a much bigger uh, <laughs> distillery?
0: Need, yeah. I mean, you have to go across the street and we'd have to that, go, yeah, we'd have to know, go warehouse. rent some of
1: founders uh, equipment. Um, but no so yeah, I mean, obviously people that are putting out that quality of product for that price point is always going to be difficult for small guys like us trying to make a name and trying to hit those stepping stones. Um, so what we rely on heavily is our story, our brand, um, how we differentiate ourselves uh, from a process standpoint and from a branding standpoint. Um, what do you get? What value do you get when you buy Grace Guys? And you're buying into this story, this idea that we're trying to create that that A, local is, is better, um, we are more hands-on we're creating this this product that you can't find anywhere else there's not enough barrel finished gin to go around and put in a kirkland brand you know so if you're buying this and, and bringing it to a party or telling your friends about it you still are kind of you're on the inside of our story our story is so small right now um so i guess in the grand scope of of the liquor world and of the cocktail world putting out a great product at a low price point is great for the growth of this industry i believe People are going to start I would agree. I playing would agree. around at home and saying, hey, this cocktail is pretty good. Where can I go explore more cocktails? Where if they bought you know, previously that same price point for a crappy bottle, they'd go home and their cocktail might turn out and they're like, ah, beer's, beer's fine I'll with stick me. Stick beer. Yeah. So in the grand scheme, um, I think it's great. Well,
0: my dream is to one day travel to Amsterdam or Madrid Manila, Singapore, <laughs> and I see these bartenders making gray skies, you know, cocktails and just promoting it. And I definitely think that you guys are on your way there. You know, it might take a little time, and I know the whole distributing thing. That's
1: a whole episode in itself. It really is, yeah. Not as interesting though.
0: But we are very proud of your product. You know? Thank you. And I think your story is an amazing story, just like you know, like what the founders did. To beer and i think what you're doing uh with uh gray skies is really a true testament to what we can do here in, in west michigan so thank you for brandon that. Voris Appreciate congratulations it. on uh your amazing story with gray skies distillery i look forward to coming back hopefully in the next week or two right
1: sounds good george thank, thank you years. so much for having and me thanks for the cheers for indeed. the samples yeah thank, thank you, you.